Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Can we stand together one more time? It's a privilege to have Brother Johnny Payton here. And uh, I am anxious to hear what the Lord has spoken to his heart for us. And um, I believe that that, uh, the ministry is a two-way street. And so I'm asking you today that when we are seated in just a few moments, that we don't disconnect from him and just let him be the only one serving us. But let's give back. And in that ebb and flow, here's what you'll find. You'll find the freedom and the liberty of the Spirit of God released to minister in this house. And that's what we really need. We need God's Spirit to do the work here this morning. He's going to do that through the voice of Brother Peyton. So I wonder if you'd make him welcome here today. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Y'all be seated for a second. I'm going to get to my text in a minute. And uh, I've been standing all service, so you can see it for a few minutes before I get to my verse. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. It's so good to feel the Spirit of God as... As uh, we've already mentioned, it's funny, Brother Boy, the last two places I preached at, the assistant pastor got up and about preached half my sermon before I got up there. And now you got up there and you preached a little bit of it. So something's right in the spirit here tonight, okay? Something's right in the spirit in this place. And uh, we were singing earlier, this is how we overcome. This is how we overcome. And we were singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I don't ever want us to get so used to singing the songs that we forget about the message in the songs. Because this is how we overcome. So if you come into this place with problems, and I know y'all got problems because y'all look human to me. But if you come into this place with problems, with worries, with issues, this is how we overcome. You're worried about your finances? This is how we overcome. You got unsaved loved ones? This is how we overcome. You got issues in your workplace? This is how we overcome. We got problems in this nation? This is how we overcome. This is how we overcome in this place. And I'm so glad to be in a place that values the spirit of God that values the presence of the Lord. Of course, I give honor to your pastor and his wife. Uh, So working with my pastor in St. Louis uh, for a few years now, I've, I've come to realize that it's no small thing when a shepherd lets another man into his pulpit, lets another speaker into his pulpit. So it's not a responsibility I take lightly. I give honor to brother and sister Boyd. I give honor to my fiance, who I'm very glad is in this place with me today, and I guess I should give honor to the entire Florida district for letting me steal her, and not just out of the state, but about 15 time zones away from here. Next year, sometime next year, we will be leaving and going over to the nation of Vanuatu. Um, It's a little island nation. If you know where Fiji is, Vanuatu is right next door. Just a little tiny island nation, the biggest island you can drive around in about five hours. And uh, when Brother Boyd, he asked me to come up and said, I want you to say a few words about Vanuatu. And I was thinking, you know, what I was going to say and kind of wanted to share with you the development of my my burden for missions, my burden for this direction. See, I didn't always have a burden for missions. One of the things I always had growing up was a burden for education, for teaching. I love to teach. Um, I'm not a, some people have misheard and said I'm a professor at Urshan, it's not true, okay, I have taught at Urshan, I am not a professor at Urshan, 
So a little difference there. But I, I've taught young people, and, I, and I've taught in my church, and I've taught youth groups, and I, and I love to teach. And I've told them if I could just, if I could just teach, that'd be amazing, you know. I, I would give up preaching to teach, and that's, I have no problem saying that. I love teaching. But several years ago, I, I went and I had an opportunity to go on uh, Missouri Youth on Missions. And I went on this trip with Brother Luke Levine. He headed it up, and we went overseas to Nicaragua and, and just working with some of the local pastors there. Some of the lo- it just began to spark a, a burden in my heart spark a burden in my heart for missions around the world. And the next year I went on Missouri Youth on Missions again to the Dominican Republic. And the next year I went on Missouri Youth on Missions again to Greece, where I met Jennifer Tummond. People ask, where did you meet? I say Athens, and they look at me funny. But we met on the other side of the world. And so these trips began to develop a burden in my heart. And time passed, and a few years ago I was the best man in a wedding. And I was sitting around with the father of the groom, who is the missionary to Vanuatu. And I was telling him about my burden. I said, you know, I feel called to education, and I feel called to missions, and, you know, I'm just kind of pursuing. And he looked at me and said, well, why not both? He said, I got a Bible school in Vanuatu that desperately needs a teacher. And so he invited me to come on over, and I was actually approved to be over there right now. But then me and Jennifer started talking again. And I had that missionary look me in the eye and said, no, no, you, this can wait. You, you hold off that for a year. And I think that he was just happy to have another person coming on over. <laughs> but so that, that, developed, that, that burden began to develop. And as I was talking to Jennifer about, you know, Vanuatu and, and the burden, and I, and I began to learn of her burden for missions as well. She's went on several mission trips on her own, and, and she shared that burden with me. And so as we begin to study about Vanuatu and as we begin to interact with the missionary over there, um, who I'm actually going to be meeting with online in the next couple of weeks, um, this burden just began to grow and begin to develop. And as we begin to research about Vanuatu, because as soon as you hear it next door to Fiji, people saying, you're doing missions work <laughs> in, in, in a place that looks like Fiji, you know, that's a vacation, you know. I, we keep joking, that's going to be our year-long honeymoon, you know. But I was going over, and Vanuatu is one of those places where as soon as you step outside the tourist trap, you see lots and lots of people living in poverty. You see lots and lots of hungry natives, and lots of people, not just, not just physically hungry, but spiritually hungry as well. And a place that still has lots of ancient spirits in the place and lots of, uh, of animistic worship and all kinds of things. And the spirit of God is moving down there in a mighty way. And they're having a revival just on the outskirts of the main city as natives come in and they begin to work with them. And they're so hungry that this Bible school is just being flooded with young people, young natives who just want to learn more about the Word of God, who want to learn more about Jesus. So that that is my burden today, and that is the direction that I am heading. Uh, We are going to be going over, hopefully for a year, a lot of that will depend on visas and whatnot, but that is our goal, and that is our hope. And so before I begin to preach, I wondered if you would pray with me. Let's all stand. I want you to pray... Not just for this trip, but I want you to pray for the missionaries who have been laboring over there for a while. Me and Jennifer have the benefit of going into an established missions place, but so many pioneers went there when there wasn't a Pentecostal work down there and began to work when, when, when nothing else was there. And so let's just all pray before we get into the sermon this morning. Let's just all pray for the Gratians who are already there. Let's pray for this trip, and let's pray for this uh, entire missionary endeavor. In the name of Jesus, Lord, God, you see the work down there, Lord, in this island nation. You see so many natives, Lord, hungry for you. You see so many people, Lord, who are trapped, Lord, with ancient spirits, Lord, who are trapped, Lord, with, with evil ways, Lord. And you got... You see the hunger. You see the revival that's happening down there right now, Lord. Your spirit's already moving, Lord. I pray you would continue to bless. I pray you would continue to guide. I pray that you would continue to save souls, Lord, in the same way as you did 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Lord, I thank you, God, for your work. 
I thank you, God, for everything that you've done. I thank you for this church in Hatchbend this morning, Lord. I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing here, Lord. I thank you, God, for a people who value your spirit, Jesus, who value the moving, Lord, of your presence, Lord. As we go into this sermon, Lord, we want you to have your way. These aren't my words, Lord. These are your words. This isn't my word. This is your word. This is your Bible, Jesus, Lord. Help us to be grounded in it this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody say in Jesus' name. I'm going to turn to Matthew, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 51. I was in the same Bible. Psalm chapter 51. I've been preaching out of Matthew a lot recently, so that was just my instinct. Psalm chapter 51. I'll be reading the first 12 verses. Psalm 51 and beginning with verse 1. When you got it, say amen. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desire is truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know Wisdom, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Now watch this. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I want to speak to you this morning from a title of a song that I don't know if you sing it here, but we sing it in my church. But when the Spirit of the Lord moves, when the Spirit of the Lord moves. If you're going to help me preach, you may be seated. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I hope you're going to help him preach. Now look back at him and say, if you don't, I will. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. When the spirit of the Lord moves, we were singing this song at my church one time, and I begin to reflect on when the spirit of the Lord moves. Again, I think we sing songs so much that we can forget even what they're saying. You ever catch yourself just singing a song and you don't even, just because you heard it so much, just going over and over in your head, you forget about the words in the song. And I was sitting there in service and, and the piano player began to play and, and the singer was singing and, and everything was going. And we were singing, when the spirit of the Lord moves, when the spirit, and, and people got out of their chairs and we were jumping and shouting, When the Spirit of the Lord moves on my heart, the song says, I will dance like David danced. I will sing like David. I will jump. I will run. I will pray. I will have a strong reaction. When the Spirit of the Lord moves, I can't help but react. What is your reaction going to be? When the spirit of the Lord moves, when the spirit of the Lord moves, I will dance like David danced, like David sang, like David jumped. I look at David's life and I say, you know what? David had a lot of reasons not to be dancing. David had a lot of reasons not to be singing, not to be shouting. And as I was, I was sitting there and we were worshiping and this thought began to go, I will sing like David sang. Like David danced. And I thought to myself, how did David dance? How did David sing? And this prompted a study. 
And, and I begin to, to look at David's life in the context of this, when the spirit of the Lord moves. And I begin to read his story from a light that I had not read before. Because we know a lot about David. We love talking about David, right? David is known as a lot of things. He's known as a giant slayer. He's known as the apple of God's eye. That's in Psalm 17. Uh, he's known as, as one of Jesus' ancestors all, all the way throughout uh, the New Testament. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. And he's this prominent figure so much that Jesus is known as a son of David. And uh, he, he's known as a great king of Israel, maybe the greatest king in Israel. Acts 13.22 calls him man after God's own heart. And he's even listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. But I've, of all these things, I want to present a new picture today. I want to present a picture of a man who knew the value of the spirit of God. A picture of a man who knew what the spirit of God was worth and what his response needed to be to such a valuable spirit. What his response needed to be because all of these things that I read are in results. Okay? Why was he a giant slayer? Why was he the apple of God's eye? Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because he woke up one morning and said, you know what? I want to be the apple of God's eye. Because <laughs> he got up and, and his greatest ambition was to be the greatest king in Israel. I present to you this morning a man who knew the value of the spirit of God. Who knew the value of the leading of the spirit even through some of the hardest situations. Harder than I've ever faced. Harder than some of us in this place have ever faced. He knew the value of the spirit of God. But before we get to David, we need to start with the context into which David is introduced. That's the context of a man named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel and God rejected him. Saul gave an offering to the Lord that he was not authorized to give in 1 Samuel 13. He made a rash oath that no Israelite should eat any food and he ends up trying to kill his own son Jonathan after he unknowingly disobeyed but actually brought around a great deliverance for Israel. Saul kept the spoils of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15 after Samuel the prophet explicitly told him to kill everything, keep nothing. Saul committed a series of very selfish sins. And in his selfishness, he refused to follow after God's plan and was only concerned with his own image, with his own spirit, not with God's view of him. If you read his confession and his repentance in 1 Samuel 15, he says, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin. Return with me that I may bow before the Lord. But he skipped down just a few verses and says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. I have sinned, yet honor me. There's no honor in sin. There is no honor in not doing the will of God. Even though he says, oh, let me bow before God. He's looking over his shoulder the entire time saying, are the people looking? How do I look in front of them? That's not true repentance. That's not true repentance. And so David is introduced. Saul has these selfish sins. And Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, finds a young boy working in a field just doing what he knows to do, what the Lord had called him to do at that moment. And note the language in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Watch this. Samuel went through the discerning process. We know the story. He finally got to David. And 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It rushed upon him but I think we forget that the exact same language 
was used about Saul just a few chapters before. Saul said, Samuel said to Saul, the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy. That's 1 Samuel 10, 6, four verses later. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul and he prophesied among them. It's 1 Samuel eleven six, 6, and the spirit of God rushed upon Saul many times. The spirit moved in Saul's life and he responded exactly how he was supposed to respond. Many times he felt the spirit and he prophesied and he used and said, you know what? God made a great decision with that king. Great choice. Samuel, he's, he's moved on by the spirit. He, he, he's feeling the spirit. The spirit's on him. But we forget just a few verses later when we see that spirit no longer with him that, that he had the same experience. All these things that I just said about David, we don't, we, we don't say those things about Saul. But Saul had those same experiences. He had the same anointing. They were both anointed to be king. And so now we see a picture of two different responses to when the spirit of the Lord moves. Two very different responses to when the spirit of the Lord moves. Now, The spirit has departed from Saul and moved on to David. 1 Samuel 16, then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The spirit of the Lord was gone and a spirit from the Lord came upon him but it was not the spirit of God. You know what that makes me think? Just because you feel him doesn't mean you necessarily have him. Because the Lord calls, the Lord draws, he also condemns. Just because you feel him, that doesn't mean you have him. Don't substitute feeling God for having him in your heart. I've seen so many people and we've all seen people who can come to church and feel God move and feel conviction, legitimate conviction. And then they leave this place because they felt him convicting and they didn't accept him. And they substituted a temporary move for a long-term change of heart. The spirit of the Lord left Saul and a spirit came to torment him. You know, when you do something bad, when you do something wrong, that conscience that hits you. Sometimes we we get this picture, you know, oh yeah, he was just sending an evil spirit after him. How's God using evil? But don't you get a conscience when you do something wrong? He knew what he was doing was wrong. Don't forget, he felt the same spirit, but now he was tormented because he knew he was sinning, but he would not stop. He would not stop. So I would propose that this is the lens that we have to read the entire rest of David's story. We have to look at this because the spirit left him, left Saul, and it came upon David. And that was the starting point of David's ministry when the spirit rushed upon him. We can't get away from that first experience. Sometimes we get so far away from the first time we felt the spirit of God that we end up on a rooftop and we should be in battle. I'm getting ahead of myself. One of David's first major acts as king, he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. We're very familiar with this story as well. The first failed attempt to bring the ark back resulted in the death of Uzzah. Resulted in death because he didn't do it right. And I'm speculating here, but given David's response to the situation, when Uzzah reached forth his hand and struck dead on the spot, David witnessed that. I wonder if in his mind he realized and recognized the absence of the Spirit of the Lord in the decision he had made. 
I wonder if he realized and said, you know what? I, I, I remember another king who didn't do things right. I remember another king who, who did some things that, that he wasn't supposed to do, that prophets were telling him not to do. And this flash of disfavor. And so the second time around, David takes six steps. He doesn't get six steps down the road before he says, no, we can't do this again. We can't do this again. And so he takes six steps into the journey and he sacrifices animals and he dances before the Lord with all his might. When the spirit of the Lord moves, I will dance like David danced. David valued the presence of the Lord in his life. And so he messed up. Watch this. David messed up legitimately and someone died because of his mistake. But when he came back around, he said, you know what? I need to do this the right way. So, Lord, I'm not taking any more steps until I get a hold of you. I'm not going to go up with this thing that you've called me to do unless your spirit goes with me. So he went six steps and he stopped and he sacrificed and he danced because I can't do it without you, Lord. I can't do it without you, Lord. From 2 Samuel 7 through 10, everything seems great. Chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David, says David's house will be established forever. Chapter 8, David has victories over many enemies. Chapter 9, David shows kindness to Mephibosheth. Chapter 10, David defeats even more enemies. And God's spirit and his favor is very present in David's life. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. David begins to get comfortable once again as king. He's not in battle as he should be, but instead remains in Jerusalem and finds himself on a housetop. Sees Bathsheba, makes the decision to commit adultery with her, and then has her husband killed to cover it up. And in chapter 12, Nathan calls David on his sin. And the passage that I read at the beginning was David's response to Nathan calling him out and saying, you've done wrong. You've sinned. What is David's response? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Block out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Cast me not away from my presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because David knew that the absence of the presence of God meant certain death. He remembered watching Saul slip into his selfish badness. He remembered him going down a path of wickedness to the point that at the end of his life, Saul visited a witch because he hadn't felt the spirit of God in him for so long. He said, I just need to feel something. And David remembered this in the face of great sin, rape, murder. That's what David did in the face of great sin. He found an altar and he laid himself on the ground and said, cast not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't want to end up like Saul. I don't want to end up like Saul. I don't want to end up like him. I saw the end of his life. It wasn't pretty. I saw the path that he went down. Your spirit wasn't there. I can't go down that path, Lord. It would seem that David, who had such a close witness to Saul's demise, would have had this in his mind as he wrote Psalm 51. He wrote, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. This is at the end of Psalm 51. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. And I can only imagine that as he wrote this, he had Samuel's words in 1 Samuel 15, 22, ringing in his mind as Samuel pointed his bony, bony finger 
in a king's face who was not listening to God and said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams, but rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What was he doing at the end of his life? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. And so David writes and says, you know what? Samuel was right. Samuel's gone now. Nathan's here. But he's remembering, he says, you don't delight in sacrifices. Else I would give it. But what you want is for my spirit to be broken and your spirit to come into me. This is what Saul didn't realize. He didn't realize that his spirit, his selfish spirit, and the spirit of God could not coexist. Man cannot serve two masters, a great person once said. He will either love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Saul didn't realize that. So he tried to hold on to his own spirit. He tried to hold on to his own desires. He tried to hold on to these things. And David, however, recognized that in order for him to feel the spirit of God in him, he had to break his own spirit. Saul wanted to give priority to his own spirit, and so God's spirit could not abide with him. Going on from the story of David and Bathsheba, many evil things begin to beset David. 2 Samuel 13, David's son Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Also in the same chapter, David's son Absalom kills Amnon. Talk about family problems. Absalom plots to overthrow his father's throne in 2 Samuel 15. A couple chapters later, Absalom dies with his hair caught in a tree. Next chapter, David returns to Jerusalem mourning for his son. Chapter 20, a man named Sheba stages a rebellion against David. Chapter 21, a great famine is on the land. And even though in 2 Samuel 22, David gives a psalm of deliverance, two chapters later he sins again by wrongly calling for a census of Israel, the sin of pride. Look what I've done. So when I look at David's life, from this context, when the spirit of the Lord moves, I don't see someone who had his life all together. I don't see a perfect person. I don't see someone who was just so head up in the clouds. He was floating everywhere he went. No, I see a sinner. I see a man who had his own sins and also just stuff going on around him. He had all these things happening in his life. In the Bible, he's painted as a sinner, an adulterer, a murderer. He's, a, he's seen as a terrible husband and a worse father. And he struggles with pride and self-righteousness. But through it all, we see a man who is familiar with and recognizes the value of the Spirit of God. And so I read his story I read about his family problems, but when the Spirit of the Lord moves. I read about his sins that he did, but when the Spirit of the Lord moves. I see all of his disqualifications, all of his family problems, everything else, everything else has said, you don't deserve to be king. But when the Spirit of the Lord moves, I cannot help while reading David's story to see the many times that David committed some of the same sins as Saul. Maybe even worse sins because David sinned by rushing God in the moving of the ark. He sinned with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. He called for a sense of Israel. He sinned in that regard. And I can't help think of all the things that made David unworthy of feeling that spirit. The youngest of his brothers, a ruddy boy who is despised by his family. Saul, the one who David constantly and rightfully revered as the first anointed king of Israel, hated him. The only person who had his job before him hated him and tried to kill him. So many disqualifications. His best friend died before David even got to the throne. His own children turned on each other. And then turned on their father. And at the very end of his life as he's dying. His sons are still fighting over the throne. 
David did not have a good life. But situation after situation came into his life and over and over again, David was forced to wrestle with these situations. But over and over again, we see a man who recognized the value of the spirit of God, who recognized the value of the spirit moving in his life. And so I preach today to a room full of imperfect people. I don't think I have to work too hard to convince us of that. Romans says we're all sinners. We've all sinned, come short of his glory. We're all, that's not up for debate. And I see David who sinned a lot worse than a lot of people in this place who still called the apple of God's eye. Man after God's own heart. Why is that? Is it because he was this perfect person? Because he was this great leader? Because all these things going on? No! Why did this happen? Why did, after so many years, they looked back and called David one of the greatest kings of Israel? Because David got down on a temple floor after committing adultery and after committing murder and said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me! Take everything else away. Take everything. But don't cast your spirit from me. I can't live without it. I can't move without it. I've seen a man who rejected it. And I don't want that to happen to me. And when the spirit of the Lord moves, David said, I will respond. When the spirit of the Lord moves, I can't help but respond. Because I've seen what I've done. I know why I shouldn't be in this church. I'm talking to some people who know you don't deserve to be in this church. I'm talking to some people who you might be struggling with sins for a long time. Look at Jacob's life. Jacob was living with sin for his entire life. Struggling with some of the same things over and over and over and over. But when the spirit of the Lord moves... And when the devil reminds me that, oh, you got so many disqualifications. You're not holding your body. Your finances got problems. Your kids aren't in church. Your family isn't in church. So many reasons you don't deserve to be here because you were a drunk in a former life, because you were a drug addict in a former life, because you had all these things that happened to you. But when the Spirit of the Lord moves, those things come to mind because the devil says you don't deserve to be here look at all your disqualifications but I said yeah but the spirit of the Lord is moving and so when it comes in just like it was doing earlier and I begin to see a people respond they said devil you ain't got a hold on me Devil, you can't remind me of a, oh yeah, bring up the disqualifications. Bring up all the reasons I shouldn't be here. But when the spirit of the Lord moves, I know he's still with me. When the spirit of the Lord moves, I know he's still working in my life. And my church back in St. Louis, so we're singing this song, right? When the spirit of the Lord moves, when the spirit of the Lord moves, I got, I got a lot of older folks in my congregation. We're a small church. We run about 50 if everyone shows up. Wednesday nights, we look a lot like home missions. That's all right, though. So we're up there. We're singing. And the Spirit of the God moves. And I know there's a man named Brother Bob. He sits about right over here. Brother Bob shows up a few minutes early to church every day because it takes him a while to get out of the car. So he gets out of that car with that walker. He's coming up that ramp. How you doing, Brother Bob? He's like, well, I'm still here. <laughs> How was your appointments this week, Brother Bob? Because I know he had some. He's got these massive braces on his legs that they have to keep watching all the time. He's coming up there. It takes him a few minutes. And he says, well, I'm still here. They said, it ain't getting any better, but I'm still walking. And he comes down. And he sits right about over here. And then I see Sister Barbara, who comes in. We, we only have two sections, so she sits in the middle one right about here. And she comes in, she sits down, she's got her, her cane, she's walking with one of the ones with four on the bottom, you know, she's there, and she's 
walk in and hey, how you doing, Sister Barb? Well, I, I know her husband passed away many years ago. I know she's got some family that aren't, aren't living for God anymore. And I know that she's been faithful, even though so many people in her life have left the church. And, and she comes in with her, with her cane and she comes down and she sits right about over here. And then I see Brother George. He's from Romania, hardly speaks a word of English, but he sits in the back. He lost his job because some people took advantage of this fact that he couldn't speak English that well. So he's sitting back there with no job. God just provided a job with him just recently, so I praise the Lord for that. But Brother George sits right about back there. And then I see Brother David, who sits over here. David's a missionary kid. Right? David has lots of things going on for him. <laughs> but what you don't know about David was just a few years ago, he was sitting in a jail cell for some foolishness. And the guy in the cell next to him said, you know what, when I get out, I'm going to church. David hadn't been to church in years, but he looked at his cellmate and said, well, if you go, you need to go to a Pentecostal church who believes in Acts 2.38. And David, who had been away from God, sat down and gave a Bible study. And now David sits there with his beautiful wife and his beautiful kids. And he prayed. And you know what? When we start to sing that song, when the spirit of the Lord moves, I see a people who have legitimate problems, okay? You got health issues, you got problems in your family, you got all kinds of things going on, but we sing, when the spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, and I see Brother Bob getting out of his chair and coming down the side aisle. Oh, he can only move about this fast, but when the spirit of the Lord moves, he says, I'm gonna respond. I don't care if it takes me 15 minutes to get around this church when the spirit of God moves. I know he's still working. And here comes Sister Barbara. Oh, she's coming down. You can just sit there. You can just sit there. No one would blame you. But she says, no, when the spirit of the Lord moves, I can't help but respond. I can't help but respond. And here comes David, who's been in a dark place, who knows about that lifestyle. But he said the Lord moved, and he saved me from that. When the Spirit of the Lord moves, I will respond. I will respond. How can you sit here when the Spirit was moving earlier with every reason that you shouldn't be here? And just sit there and say, this isn't for me. If you feel the spirit of the Lord, you should rejoice. You should shout. You should praise. You should dance. Because the devil doesn't want you here. But the spirit is moving anyway. Jesus name. Jesus name. Sit down for a minute. David saw God's spirit through his victories. Watch this. David was taking care of sheep, fighting lion, bears, playing in Saul's court, fighting Goliath, all his victories. He saw God's spirit, but even more so in his failures. While running from Saul, while he rushed in the moving of the ark, his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, after calling for the census, he still saw the spirit of God once again. All of this in the light of a man who did not follow after that spirit. All of this in the light of the man who sinned in some areas not as bad as David. But David said, I need that Holy Spirit in my life. So when the spirit of the the Lord moves like it did earlier. And I see people with all of our issues feeling God's presence. I can't help but respond. I can't help but respond. Every time I feel God's spirit, you know what it reminds me? Is he's not done with me yet. I'm not as far as Saul because Saul couldn't. Saul couldn't feel that spirit. But I come in here and I see the Lord moving and I know he's not done with this church. I know he's not done in Hatchpin. I know he's not done in my life. I know he's not. So come what may. Come what may. I don't care if the government falls apart tomorrow. I don't care what happens in this nation. But I'm going to come here and I'm going to raise my hands. Because if I feel the spirit of God. If I can feel the spirit of God. And have him move in my life. 
Oh, that's what's going to get me through. So when the spirit of the Lord moves, I will dance. I will shout. I will jump. But I will also repent like David repented. I will also change like David had to change. I will change like David had to change. As well as dance and shout and sing. If you value the spirit of God, it will change how you walk and how you talk. Not just in this building, but when you leave this building. I'm going to be a few more minutes, but we can stand. Musicians can come. Exodus chapter 33. Israel had sinned with the golden calf. God said, I'll send you up with an angel, but I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. You know what Moses said? If your spirit doesn't go up with us, don't carry us up hence. For wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that you go with us? And only then will we be separated from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Do you know why we need the Spirit of God? Because it's the only thing that's going to save us in this age. God has a calling for this church. He has a calling for people in this church. There is a reason why you are here. It is not an accident. But if you're going to go into that spirit, if you're going to change like God is speaking to you, you will only do it by the spirit of the Lord. I have some friends in St. Louis. I did chaplaincy work in a hospital. And in a hospital, you have all kinds of different denominations and so one of my one of my friends she 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 valued talking to me and she and she enjoyed having some conversations and so she had a, a party with some of the chaplains and so she's part of some group I'm not sure it's Mormon but they're liberal I'm not sure all what it is. So we're sitting around Pentecostal, a Lutheran and a Mormon. Sounds like a walks into a bar joke, right? Okay. Mormon, a Lutheran, and a Pentecostal were all sitting there. And my friend, she says, you're my friends. I value your input. She said, I need to tell you all something. She said, I've been in ministry for a long time. And I sincerely feel that when I came into the ministry, I felt God's spirit. She said, I sincerely believe that. She said, but it's been so long since I felt the spirit. It's been so long since I felt the moving of God. Yes, she's doing work in her church. She's doing work in the hospital. But she said, I don't feel Jesus anymore. I don't feel him anymore. And she says, I'm so desperate. Watch, this is going to sound familiar. She says, I'm so desperate. I want to try pulling out some Ouija board and some other satanic stuff. Because I want to feel something. I want to feel something. And she said, will you help me do that? I said, sister, no. Because when I go to church, I feel the spirit. I feel the presence of God. And this Lutheran, who's part of a cessationist organization that doesn't believe in God's spirit, this Lutheran who doesn't believe in the charismata and the moving of the gifts of the spirit, he leaned forward in that couch and he told that Mormon minister, don't you mess with that stuff. If you want to feel the spirit, you better go to Johnny's church. You better go to Johnny's church because they feel the spirit there. What we have in this place isn't everywhere, folks. What we have in this place isn't everywhere. And God help us if we take for granted every time he moves in our midst. God help us if we take for granted every time he works in us and moves in us and works a change in our life. God forgives of us if we ever take that for granted. If you come into God's presence and feel him move, know he's not done with you yet. You're not so far gone you can't turn to him again as musicians begin to play Psalm 139 says this whether shall I go from thy spirit whether shall I flee from thy presence 
If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what disqualifications you came in this place with whether it's something you did or something that just happened to you, but whatever reason that you don't deserve to be here, this invitation is for people who want to dwell in that spirit once again. Because the spirit's in this place. And we're going to have another chance before we go out tomorrow. We go out and we eat food and we go on with our lives this week where we aren't in church. You're going to have another opportunity in this place to come and respond to this spirit. In the name of Jesus, let's all bow our heads and lift our hands. In the name of Jesus, your spirit is in this place, Lord. You're working in this place, Lord. I see a group of people, Lord, who value your spirit. Don't take us up unless your spirit is with us. Don't lead us into the calling that you have for this church unless your spirit is with us. For it is only your spirit that makes a difference. We need to find a place to pray. We need to find a place to worship right now. Because the spirit of the Lord is here. What will our response be? Let's all come. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.